Yo, it's the heavy hitter DJ Wala, and you're now plugged into the Subject Thread Podcast with your host, Nyla Lavelle. Like, there are certain people that have these ability to be independent contractors, self-employed, day traders, real estate investors, singers, artists, those type of people avenues within the real estate umbrella because there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. I think a lot of people miss that. Right, right. And that's very true because when you say real estate, that's a that's the umbrella, right? That's what and then there's so many other strategies. So real quick what I'll do for our listeners is explain a little bit about what wholesaling real estate is. I, I like I like that question because what kind I was just talking about this yesterday and I feel like with, with Kanye he's like he does things that we all do behind closed doors. Yeah, I've never been asked that. This is Subject Thread Podcast. We different here. You are now tuned in to Subject Thread Podcast, giving you real dose of storyboard conversations, art, money, culture, and more. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Subject Thread Podcast. I have a very special guest in the building founder of Reality Speaks Incorporated. She's also a renowned family medicine doctor. Dr. Chi is in the building with us, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We wanted to bring you on because it's very rare that we have doctors that are so transparent about mixing science with holistic practices. And that's one thing that I saw that you are familiar with having holistic measures with signs? Like, how did you get into that? Well, for me, I love to see patients in a different level. I want to get to know them at a different level, not just treating the disease, but mainly treating the person. Mm -hmm. I come to find out that many things that is going on with them is either mental or psychological or even just lifestyle changes. So once I delve into that, I realized that a lot of things they can be fixed from there. So that's something that I strive to to focus on with patients. Let them, I, I use a saying, own your health, because I feel patients are empowered by their health if they own it, if they know what's going on, if they ask the right questions and to be that person they need to be so they can avoid trips to the hospital so often and not having to see me so often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, question, do you think that a lot of diseases start in the gut? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you change the way you eat things that you put into your body, you can fix a lot of things that are go- going on with you negatively overall. Okay. Yeah. So you think that, is it just medically or like mentally, physically, you think it's a combination of both? It's a combination. It's a combination. I have seen patients who have been in and out of the hospital, but once they change their lifestyle from being sedentary and being at home all day and eating the bad things and fast food, and they change it to plant-based, cooking at home, walking every day, I don't see them. Their diabetes has improved. Their blood pressure has improved. Overall, they've been diagnosis of chronic autoimmune diseases that have been, that have been healed just by eating and doing the right things that they're supposed to do. And that's amazing that you say that because there are a lot of disparities in terms of heart disease, diabetes in in the black community, the brown community. Why do you think that is? Education. I think the lack of education, the lack of knowledge and knowing what you can do 
changes makes a big difference. And also just not having the proper access to the right things uh, makes a difference. If you are in a neighborhood that doesn't have the plant-based restaurants or the grocery stores that are healthier, not to mention those are more expensive, then mm-hmm. you are by default, you're going to be choosing the wrong things. And I think a lot of that has to do with socioeconomic status and what's around them. So that is the the difference between a healthy, you know, minority and a one that always ends up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know that you always wanted to be a doctor? I did and did not. I kind of grew up and I'm a Nigerian. So I grew up in a Nigerian household. And for those who know the culture, it's like you're almost you have to succeed in something. So my parents r- really made that um, important in our household to, you know, whatever you choose, make sure you, you go at it and go at it hard. So when I was younger, I did have that doctor mindset that my parents kind of led me to, but I led my own way. I think it happened in undergrad when I was playing basketball. I, I was in and out of majoring in, you know, biomedical science and all the difficult things, but I made that decision wholeheartedly that this is something I wanted to do because I knew I could change lives. And I knew that being a physician was that vessel to touch more people. So I think it came later on in life, but the idea started off pretty young. Okay. Now, how important is it for Black doctors to be here, to be present? Ooh, it's (laughs) monumentally (laughs) important. So I think it's not just the numbers that make a difference of counting how many Black doctors there are. It's the influence that we have in our community. The more they see us, the more they want to be us, the more that they can trust us. There's a long history of mistrust within the health system because they was predominantly white and has led us to where we are now with the disparities. But I even statistics have come out, you know, if there is actually less deaths that happen with Black people if they are treated by Black doctors. Mm. That is a true statistic that just actually just came out with infants and um, and pregnant women. So it, You're right. That was last week. You're right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not, you know, we're not making this up in our head. This is a true thing. We need to have more minority physicians treating our people so that we can have better health outcomes. How was your transition coming from sports into deciding, I just want to do medical like, how was that transition? From playing basketball to being in the health field? Yes. I would say, I mean, it was difficult. I was playing, I was in a, you know, major D1 basketball program that what was stressed was that they wanted you to major in something that was light, that didn't take too much time off of basketball because they wanted you to win games. And mm-hmm. I was at the black sheep. I wanted to be a doctor. So I was majoring in something that was very demanding. I had to split my time. I had to miss sometimes practices, had to come late to training, things like that. And it was difficult to make that commitment and be great at both avenues. So at University of South Florida, I succeeded in majoring for four years. And then I took a break after playing and because I actually did injure my knee in my last game of my season. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. And then I went on to get my master's in medical science to strengthen my resume and to study more for the big MCAT exam that you need for medical school, because it was hard studying for, you know, MCATs and things like that, playing basketball. So, but I will say playing definitely helped me build that, that grit, that tenacity to not give up. 
It was something that I, I think I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. I built so much character playing basketball because, you know, it was a business. You know, if you didn't perform, you're not playing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it built that, like, I'm not giving up. And no matter what they say, no matter how hard they come on me, I'm going to continue to strive. So I think that built me into who I am today and to perform as a physician for my patients. And I definitely do like your nonprofit, Reality Speaks, because you have statistics up there that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, that only 2% of the population that plays sports actually make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, what do you say to that athlete, that student athlete that's like, I'm so bent on just becoming a professional athlete that I don't really want to focus on anything else? So that is kind of why I started Reality Speaks, because I was in that world of a student athlete who felt that, you know, all you're, you're doing when you're playing is you're so focused, your tunnel vision on your sport. You kind of forget that, you know, the ball's going to stop bouncing eventually. Um, there's some really good athletes out there, but unfortunately, not everyone's going to play professionally. And so we have to start allowing them to think outside of that sport early. So what else do you're interested in? You know, if this sport doesn't work out, what else are you, what's your fallback, what's your fallback plan? So I found Reality Speaks actually during medical school because I knew I wanted to give back somehow. And so we started giving back to the athletes as far as helping them start thinking, building their resume performing or or giving them like mock interviews to help them prepare for the real world. And I also developed these um, community events and this in the community where the athletes can come out and volunteer. And that way they can build up their resume to say, Hey, I'm more than an athlete. I'm into my community. I'm giving back to, you know, these children, the toy drives, and we have yearly clothing drives and things Mm. like that. So something that I knew I I needed to do because I was in that world, I was tunnel vision. I didn't, I wasn't thinking past it until I knew the importance of life after sports. And that's what Reality Speaks basically was. Yo, it's the heavy hitter DJ Wala, and you're now plugged into the Subject Thread Podcast with your host, Nyla Lavelle. Okay. Now, Also, there's a message, I guess, to young people that they feel like if they don't make it as a professional basketball player or a football player, et cetera, that they failed. Why do you think that is that stigma? Because it's not a failure to me. Right. It's not a failure. We grow up in the sport world. Being an athlete, you have this mindset of, you know, failing is losing a game. So, you know, we're so competitive that we have to win. We have to win. We have to win. So when we fall short, we feel like we failed. But I want to stress to the athletes with that mindset is that there's so much more to life than playing the game. A lot of even professional athletes have succeeded outside of their sport because eventually, you know, they're going to stop playing. They're either going to retire. There's going to be some type of injury, but that's not the end all be all. I am perfect example of that. I tore my MCL my last game of my last game of senior year. And I had to keep fighting to figure out what else is out there. And I had to move forward and be successful in something else because I knew basketball wasn't my overall purpose in life. So not succeeding in a sport is not failure. It's just the beginning of your new story. And I definitely like the way that you said that. What position did you play when you were playing? I was actually a tweener. I was a guard and a forward, but mainly I played four because of my long arms and my ability to rebound and things. So and I can still dribble and things like that. So I was, I was in and out. 
Okay, cool. Now, do you remember the song that used to get you hyped when you were going on the floor? <laughs> the song? I'm so old now. It's been so long. No, you remember, though. I know there was one song that got you. So I'm kind of weird. I do like those Whitney Houston classics. Oh, awesome. so I want to dance with somebody. I can play that song any day, any time, and it'll get me hype. I'm I'm weird like that. You you like the original version of the house version? She has a couple of them. <laughs> Keep it original. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, question: What is the the least thing that you like to diagnose and tell someone? Like, what is your least favorite? My least favorite diagnosis has to be cancer. That's mm-hmm. the hardest thing when I get those results back from the biopsy. And it's, you know, the, it's the hardest thing to tell someone that it's come back. And I've had that happen several times. Um, they come in with a simple symptom, but the end result is unfortunate. And those are always the hardest for sure. Now, being a doctor, there's a misconception that a lot of times people say that they don't have bedside manners and they lose humanity. That is a misconception, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, I think that's what it was many years ago. It was very common for that because doctors were known for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But over time, I think our training in medical school has focused on more bedside manner and making sure you are you know, speaking to the patient as a person. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's still some bad apples out there where they just, you know, they're still older or they just who they are. And that's just their personality. And it's hard to change that. But I would say overall, we're becoming more reasonable and more understanding and sympathetic with the patient. I've, I've been witness to it for my colleagues and myself as well. Um, it's just something that we strive for nowadays because we know what's more important and it's the patient and what they really care for. So, and even our group, you know, we're focused on sitting down with the patient, making sure that we give them their card, ask them if they have any questions. So we're getting trained how to become and be better physicians so that patients are comfortable. Now, in school, I was told by even my own personal doctor that they didn't teach them a lot about nutrition. Is that accurate? Yes and no. We we touch on it, nutrition as far as of foods to take for certain diseases. Mm -hmm. So like if you have heart failure or hypertension or diabetes, there are certain foods that we strive not to take and to avoid. So that is something that, yes, we touched on. But as far as like a nutritionist, like going in detail of, you know, how many, you know, macros and and no, we, that's like more, that's not our, our forte, but yes, we can tell you how much sodium to stay away from. We can tell you how much carbs to stay away from because you have diabetes Things like that. Yes, we we know that. <laughs> okay. I did see you in a picture with the baby. So your the, your practice of everything that you do, is it all encompassing? So during residency, it was everything. I was family medicine. So we, we trained from pregnant women to newborns to elderly to, you know, kids and teenagers, everything. So that was during my residency training. Okay. Um, now I'm out. I am a, an attending uh, full-time in the hospital. So I'm a hospitalist who's, um, and I see full-time adults now. So I don't see kids anymore. I love them, but I don't like treating them because they're <laughs> <laughs> So I just strictly stick with adults currently. So with the climate of everything that's going on with COVID-19 and everything like that, mm-hmm. with people of color, I find that even with my own family, mm-hmm. 
they don't want to wear a mask. Some people don't want to wear a mask. How serious is COVID still to this day? Because a lot of people think it's not. And that breaks my heart when I hear that. It really does. Like COVID is still there. And it's it's unfortunate because I'm sitting there in the front lines in the hospital admitting these patients who are still coming with COVID positive and in the ICU and short of breath. And I'm seeing it. It's still out there. Yes, the numbers are decreasing, but that's because people are doing what they're supposed to do and they're wearing their masks and it's decreasing in numbers. But unfortunately, people are still in large number of groups and they're still, you know, partying and things like that without the protection mm-hmm. and continue to spread. And we're still seeing those trickles of cases in the hospital. So I personally strongly advise to still wear your mask until we get this under control, until you know, the vaccine comes back and until, you know, we are, we can finally say the pandemic is over, but it is not, trust me, it's still there. And it's funny that you say that. That's that's another thing that I speak to. I have, you know, I have strong family members that are very, very religious and they're like, I'm not taking no vaccine. They're trying to kill us. What do you say to people like that? How do you get around that? That's tough because I mean, the flu vaccine has been around for years and years and years and people are still, you know, not taking it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and there's vaccine for children and people are saying it causes, you know, different diseases or issues. So at the end of the day, I will stress this, the vaccine that I've, my research that I have done, I can assure that the research and the, the trials that they're doing now are looking very promising. And if I will give my mother the vaccine, that means I trust this. I trust what's going on. And currently that is what's going on right now. I, I trust that the, the trials that they're doing are looking really good. Now, is the trials over? It's not. We're still in phase three, which is like the last phase where they're testing over 30,000 people on it. And, you know, once we see those results and it looks great, then I am confident in that trial and I'm confident in you know, for the people to take the vaccine because this is a real, you know, COVID-19 is a real, a real thing. I will say, unfortunately, that politics is getting in the way of me trusting it. Mm -hmm. And that's one part I can say that is making me a little scary, but I'm going to keep my eye on, you know, the drug trial to make sure that it's not forcefully pushed or, you know, making this a political statement to be out because you know they're trying to Trump is trying to win the race. You know, I when that does, you know, when it gets closer, I, I will be very strong in keeping an eye to make sure that it's not forcefully released because of politics. Gotcha, gotcha. Now speaking of of Trump, how important is it for you, for people to vote this year? In your opinion, I can't stress how much. I can't really, you know, there, everyone's been seeing it. It's very important to vote this year. It's been a very, very difficult last four years with the leadership that we've had. And if you don't, if you just erase everything before and just focus on what has happened this year with the handling of COVID, and it's very scary. We've had deaths with COVID that could have been avoided. It Mm -hmm. our country's out of control with you know not controlling this 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 pandemic, and it's embarrassing when you're compared to other countries. This is a very serious situation. If if our leadership cannot control a pandemic now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next four years. You know, 2020 has been a tough year and I don't, we don't want another one, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I really stress the importance of voting and making sure that we vote for the right party to take control of the devastation with not even COVID, but with the racial issues and the unrest. There's so much going on and we need a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I do want to switch gears really quickly. And I did observe that you had on certain type of sneakers. Are you a sneakerhead? I'm not a sneakerhead, but I work out a lot. Okay. I do like different shoes to work out on. So I guess so. I I just like variety, I guess. Yeah, because I saw that I was like, she she has pictures on with like they look like new balances. I wasn't sure. New balances or Adidas. I wasn't really sure. I'm a girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that I was like so how do you feel about uh, Kanye West's Adidas? Do you do you buy his? Or you- I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, I'm more, if it looks good, I'll wear it. I'm not about names, you know, I don't gotcha. into that. Mm-mm. So what what's next for you in the future in terms of your nonprofit and, and more things that you want to do? Oh, so my, I've always wanted and always felt this way about giving back and because of COVID, I've kind of haven't had the opportunity to be out in the community as I want to. But so for this future, I'm, I'm looking into still trying to get back with my clothing drive, hopefully in the next couple of months to usually find a, I usually give like a homeless shelter or some domestic shelter that needs clothing or some type of hygienic kits. That's something that's coming up soon. But as far as me, I, however I can get my voice out and educate and to just help that next person to be better at themselves and their health. That's what I'm here for. So that's my goal. And um, I really hope that people, when they hear my story, they're able to learn from it and to avoid the mistakes or to know that they're not alone and to know that failure is okay. And if it does happen, it's not the end. It's the beginning of a new story. Cool. Cool. Now, my last two questions for you. The first one is, what are you watching on Netflix right now? Netflix or Hula? Ooh, what am I <laughs> I'm actually catching up on Suits. Okay. I don't know if you know that show. I think it was like on, I forgot what channel, maybe USA, USA, but I'm watching Suits right now. It's okay. pretty- so you're catching up on Suits. And mm-hmm. my last question for you, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? Oh, what would I say? Hold on. It's going to be an interesting ride. <laughs> And do not give up because you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy this journey. And that's, yeah, that's probably what I was saying. Hang on and you'll enjoy it. Awesome. Awesome. Now, how can the people find you? Social media handles and website? Absolutely. So I do have a website, thedrchi.com. You can find out more about me and my, my story and my nonprofit from there. And I'm very active on social media on Instagram at ask underscore Dr. Chi. And you can reach me, you can DM me, uh, message me on my website. And also I have a YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Chi. I upload videos on health, ways to help your, your in your kitchen to cook better for your diabetes and hypertension. So I'm out there. And if you have any questions for me, I am more than available for you. Awesome. Awesome. Now, quick question. Are you plant-based? Do I only eat plant-based? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I like okay. meat. <laughs> Okay. I, I love me. I do cook a lot. I do cook, but I love I love variety. I eat all types of meat, chicken, but I'm a I'm more of a fish girl. I like salmon and shrimp and things like that. But I'm in the kitchen all day. Okay, cool, cool, cool. 
So mm-hmm. we do thank you for coming on Subject Thread Podcast, and we are out, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Subject Thread Podcast. Here's a sneak peek of next week's episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Subject Thread, and make sure you visit us online at www.subjectthreadpodcast.com. We're on kind of like a, a, a really long, a large circle or a cycle with this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have the 60s, you know, and it comes back around. And then we have where we are today, which I would say is probably the the most active since the 60s for, you know, in the civil rights movement that we've been. And people, it seems like it's like if you don't, it, it literally like you don't know your history. So you can't see that this is the same fight. Like, you know, I told my, my parents that like I marched you know in june or whatever they're like man still you're still doing that huh you know like they did it 30 40 years ago and so when people don't understand that we're really on this fighting the same struggle since since abolition right since jim crow since like this it's the same thing it's just less blatant Mm -hmm. right not as many you know lynchings and cross burnings